Okay. Um, the Unjust Steward, Luke chapter 16. Why don't you open your Bibles and turn to it? Go ahead and read it first. Now, the ESV is a little different translation than uh, Kenneth Bailey's. Luke 16. Luke chapter 16. So, uh, Kenneth Bailey uses the word steward. ESV translation uses the word manager. I don't know. Does anyone have an NIV? I don't know what they... They use manager, too. Okay. It's fine. I, I, I like the word steward a little bit better, but it doesn't really matter. Manager sounds too much like mid-level, you know, mid-level manager in a Fortune 500 company. What's that? Well, exactly, but let's see here. The uh, Turn in the account of your management. Again, when we think the word management, what do we think of? We think, because we're post-industrial revolution, for all you history nerds out there. Anyways. Ah, okay, well, anyways, so Carol is right, but unfortunately, you are not like everybody else, Carol. But I want that man. You what? <laughs> That's right. Actually, I stand corrected, because I have watched one episode of that, and that might be a cultural revolution right there. That's true. Hey, all right, good. Well, that's fun. Um, all right, so... The parable of the dishonest manager, uh, you know, in the, in the heading of my Bible, already raises questions. So, we read it, and so Jesus said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were bought to, brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management. For you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Okay. Um... Uh, the parable is, is, is uh, tough because it seems that this, well, obviously a dishonest person is being commended. So, you know, there's some, I mean, if you take the word at its face value, there could be somewhat of a moral tension in you. What is, what is Jesus actually teaching here using this dishonest person? And then on top of that, his behavior you know, it's not like a story of redemption where this dishonest manager all of a sudden at the end of the parables is repented and now he's redeemed and he's honest now and he's living on the straight and narrow. Um, no, he, he still loses his job and he's still a dishonest person. So there's not really any kind of moral transformation going on here. 
So it's kind of a, a strange uh, little parable, but Kenneth Bailey's uh, chapter is very helpful. Uh, and so we're just we're going to kind of walk through what he says real quick. Well, I don't know, maybe not real quick. but um, <laughs> The one important thing, though, is as you read Scripture, is that right from the outset, the, the manager slash steward is described as um, dishonest, and he's wasteful. Now, if you so, so you know, so part of the, part of the thing is is we are as Bible readers, you know, we kind of expect certain things from the Bible. Now, the thing is, though, is the Bible is always truthful, and so the Bible sets us out saying this guy's a dishonest and he's wasteful, and if you see through the parable, at the end of the parable, what is he still? He's still dishonest and he's still wasteful. Well, yeah, now we find out a little bit more about him. He's, he's, uh, in his dishonesty and, and uh, wastefulness, he's shrewd also. Prudence, I think, is uh, how Kenneth Bailey uh, translates that. Anyways, but the, the, the guy acts in accordance with who he is. And that's, a, that's important because um, Jesus is using him in a way that is actually more than he is. So uh, hopefully that should be setting something off in your head. Um, you are who you are, but the ramifications of who you are can be greater when Jesus uses you as you are. All right, well, and the other thing, too, is the master. The master is generous, he's uh, trustworthy, and he is gracious. That's at the beginning of the parable. You kind of have to read in between the lines. Um, but at the end of the parable, he's still, he's still these things. He doesn't act against his character. Um, and that, that's actually good. So, and then the community is a typical Mideastern community. And that was probably the most enlightening for me in this section because the community comes with a certain way of life that is very different than what we are, like in western suburbs of Chicago. Now the setting, goes to Carol's point, is that the setting is is most likely a farm-slash-land ownership relationship. It's not a, a business where this man is sitting in a, you know, kind of halfway up a skyscraper building managing accounts. He is a, uh, he's a landowner who rents his land to certain people to farm it, and then the proceeds from the farm he receives as payment. Um, so it's agricultural. Um, and it's a Mideastern town. So Now the wasteful steward is fired by his master, and, and this is important because we think, hey, once the guy's fired... It's done and over with. The security guard, especially the management, this is, this is all going to my head, is that the security is waiting outside the office, right? So when the guy le- leaves his office, the security escorts him to his desk, makes sure he doesn't take the stapler, <laughs> and then leaves him out the door. Well, of course, that's not what happens in this circumstance. There is a time in between where the private meeting of the master and the steward then becomes a public announcement. And the time in between the steward or the manager uses that very effectively. So, uh, yeah, he figures out how to make sure his his master looks good. And while at the same time, he 
he works out how to get a job once the announcement is public. So now, I, I think the guy's a little bit more lovable now. You know, at first he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a thief. He's a liar. I mean, generally, I mean, you know, as a dad, if my daughter brings home a thief and a liar, that's it's probably not a good thing. Um, but I'm, I'm liking the guy now. So, well, I mean, I think he's a little bit more lovable. That's not to downplay the fact that he's a thief and a liar, but it's interesting how our emotions can be changed very quickly. And th- this will come out in, in just a, a little bit here, I think. I think. Um, well, he's obviously guilty because he doesn't say anything. And the time in between, so by the time in between, though, everyone thinks he's still the, the steward, he's the manager. So when he goes and talks with these debtors or these you know, uh, land renters, they all think, hey, this guy's acting on behalf of the master. So when he says, hey, you know, write down 50 and write down 80, they're like, hey, this is, this is great, man. This guy is awesome. This ma- master is fantastic. He's a generous dude. Now, the Middle Eastern culture comes into play in that circumstance, which I think which was fascinating for me because then I think about politics in the Middle East, too, and that, how that all works, is that there's a di- distinction between like the public propriety and the private awareness. So the private meeting between the steward and the renter most likely was, I, you know, the guy asks, man, I can't believe the master's doing this. Well, he's not really doing it. I'm doing it. Oh, well, yeah, because the steward, is the, he, it's not his stuff to, to manipulate. So anytime, anytime his, so you've got to think about his, his uh, previous meetings or relationships. The steward always carries the authority of the master. So any kind of decision in the past has always been based on the, ma- the master. This is what the master says. Now you, you use the word master in a, not, you know, so the landowner, whatever. My boss says this. And they're like, oh, okay, good. So that's what we've got to do. Um, so the steward or the manager at that time is, is being shrewd. He's still, he's going to use that as leverage with these people. And the, and the guy says, oh, man, this is amazing. I can't believe it. Wow, okay, great. Now, exactly. Why do you want to ask all these questions? Now, I find that interesting because oftentimes when you, you know, people get a gift, they always say, well, what's this for? Well, do I have to have a reason? Or, or the worst, what are you up to? These, yeah, exactly. You know, what are you making up for? Um, on a certain level, that's actually exactly what's happening here, but the renters, they don't know that. They, it, well, again, if we, we're reading with kind of an open mind and presuming normal circumstances, these people are just simply going to say, wow, this is great, this master's awesome. Now, the thing is, though, is that when the public announcement's made, uh-huh, okay, now I get it. Now I see what happened. But will those renters go back and say, I understand this guy wasn't working under your, you know, with your authority, so, okay, here's back my 50. Well, no way they're going to do that. They're going to say, how was I supposed to know? 
That was still, that's so nice of you. Thank you. So this is something where, um, in that kind of culture, that's just, that's, that's normal acting. That's, that's, just, that's just the way things are. For us, we think, hey, now the, the renters now are complicit in a crime. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Okay. I'm just going to leave it at that. The steward makes sure that they write down the numbers, which is, a, you know, being shrewd, you know, because he's innocent now. He's not forging anything. It's all in their handwriting. Because the master will have to go to them and say, you're a liar. And that's going to be very difficult because there is no proof. Okay. Well, I, I think, it's, I think it's, it's a great little story. Once the debtors leave their private meetings with the steward, a very public announcement of the generosity of the master goes out now because these renters are going to be like, holy smokes, I just hit the jackpot today. The master of the land gave me this discount. Can you believe this? And word will spread very quickly. Because we all know how rumors work. They move fast. So the time in between the firing and the public announcement of the firing probably has been outpaced by the message of the generosity of the master. So in a sense, think about it this way. By the time the master is about to leave his office, in quotes, his house, to make sure that people know about this guy, everybody at the town is at his front door with a thank you gift, saying, how awesome are you? So by then, I, I say, pan, uh, like, it's Pandora's box has kind of been opened up, and there's really, now, there's no going back for the master. But he does have two options. He has one saying, this guy's a liar. He wasn't working under my presumption. And even though I'm a rich man, I deserve more money. So give me back all my money. We all know how that message is going to be played out with a big thumbs down. You're already rich. Why do you need all this money? Why are you beating up on the small guy? It's legal, though. Everything's legal here. So now, this is where the moral ambiguity comes in, because uh, even though he's within his rights and his laws to get all this stuff back, what's actually most important in this situation for the master? Okay. The law is not necessarily most important here. Yes, honor and shame. So uh, the other thing is, is he could just lose, he could eat the profits. Again, he's a rich man. It's not as if he's going to become a poor man now. So these are not equals. It's not like an equal guy stole from another equal guy. There is a... um, a big difference. So he could lose his profits, but gain and maintain the status of a generous man, which, of course, that's what happens. Nancy. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. I actually, uh, um, I was thinking the same thing, because um, the... Because he does hint to it, and he hints to the some writer. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. 
and how um, this rider basically says he must have a couple hours. And Bailey says, oh, that's kind of probably true. Well, logistically speaking, how does this all work? And my only way that I, I thought about it was that the word got out, in fact, when the actual uh, transaction had not actually taken place, in a sense. Like, you know, because it, it, it has to have been worked out that way, where this word's gotten out, holy smokes, this has happened, and even though uh, the event itself actually hasn't happened, the actual transaction, the physical transaction, I, I'm thinking, who knows? I mean, that, that would have been interesting. Write Kenneth Bailey. Let, ask him what's going on. Jan. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, all that stuff can be played in, but like the actual. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, that, 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 I guess, uh, interesting. Interesting. However, though, it, okay, so, but the thing is, though, we're still working within a culture that has certain cultural mechanisms. Don't be too literal. That sounds like an easy answer, Carol. Yes, you would have included. No, I, I think though. But but Nancy's question is a fair, a good question, I think. And just like how how does that work? Obviously, today in Middle Eastern society, they're you know paper, even they're you know they do have it available. But back then, yeah, you know, and Jan could be right. He could be so rich that he has this stuff lying around and. But I, I still think, well, anyways, who knows? The question is unanswered. Now, the thing is, though, at the end, though, this master now has to acknowledge that he's been gotten. And the fact is, is he's been, he's a trustworthy man because everyone presumes, you know, every, this is all trustworthy. You know, no one presumes that this master is, is not worth trusting, so they don't actually believe the steward or the manager. He's also a generous guy. Um, and then, you know, finally, he's so gracious. So the, the thinking is that, um, the, you know, this master has to stay within his character. He doesn't have to, but, I mean, as the story's being told. So the idea is that um, he's still going to fire the guy, but he acknowledges that he's done something very, very clever. Um, and so, you know... It, it, I can't remember which page this on, but I wrote down these notes, is that there's a, there's a difference between I applaud the dishonest steward because he acted cleverly and I applaud the clever s- steward because he acted dishonestly. You know, those, that, that's going on here. Is that, so it's not as if his dishonesty has been a kind of annihilated or overlooked. He's still a dishonest guy. But the fraud is, such a, is so ingenious that it's like, yeah, you got me. And so the man, being gracious, generous, he acknowledges that. Like, he's, wi- he's willing to acknowledge that of himself, which, you know, it takes kind of a special guy, like, rather than saying, you didn't get me, you're fired. And just to show you you didn't get me, I'm going to act within the law and get all my money back. That would be that character uh, trait played out. 
But this man isn't like that. He's gracious, so he acknowledges the fact that he's been had, but at the same time, the guy's still fired. But the master knows he's going to get a job somewhere else. Lindsay. Mm -hmm. No, that's not actually true. Uh, it's only between the t private parties. Unless the, de unless the renters actually announced it saying, hey, this guy acted shrewdly. That's probably not the case. So, oh, yeah, so, okay, so the announcement by the master in commending his steward most likely was between the two. Yeah, it wasn't like a public announcement. This guy. The renters? Yeah, they probably did. Right, so the public propriety and the pub or a private awareness. This is where, so, so what they're saying is they acknowledge that this is all not, not right. But they're not going to acknowledge it publicly because that means they've lost all this money. Right. So, how so the only way, the only way that this can be made legally proper is if the master goes through the process and saying, "This man has acted illegally," right. to which they could say, "Oh, I didn't know that." But he's already high on the old public persona. Mm -hmm. So I mean, from a uh, like a PR, a PR agent. This guy is great. And they would say, don't take this away. You've paid for this notoriety, in a sense. Why would you want that away? Because you're going to go so far down. The debtors? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Right, so um, so Kenneth Bailey writes at the end there, and he, he doesn't play this out. He just it's like a, just a couple sentences where he says they're going to hire this guy because he is so shrewd. They want him working for them. The, the, the anybody who's who is in business because they would not want the enemy or the competition to have this guy. So it, it's you know keep your what is it keep your friends close but keep your enemies closer so they they do want this guy is so shrewd they don't want him working for the other the other team or the other company or the other guy because they're probably going to get had by them anyways yeah him i should say so let's use his shrewdness for them for for good in a sense nancy Well, it, it just depends on what kind of renter relationship. Exactly. But the, the thing is, is that um, they're still making money, right? I mean, they're renting because, not, because they're not rich enough to ha have land, but at the same time, they're renting because they can pay for it. So Bailey kind of presents it as, hey, their, um, uh, their fortunes are going to get even better. Maybe they get a discount. So she... They're working under, you know, uh, precedent. Hey, I only paid 50, 50 last year. Well, maybe I can only pay 70 this year rather than 80 or 100. Now, the one thing, too, is that Kenneth Bailey kind of worked it out where the difference between, like, the discounts, the 50 and the, the 20, if you, you know, think about those numbers, actually is enough money to pay for, for, for him. Like, that would be, like, enough for one man's. So he worked it out where... 
he can get paid by sharing the profits. So, yeah, Kenneth, and I don't know enough about the culture, so I, I, I don't know. Kenneth Bailey didn't write it, didn't, didn't include all those questions. But I do find it interesting because what happens here is something that happens often in movies. I think uh, the two movies that popped out in my head were Ocean's Eleven and The Italian Job. What are these movies about? Does anybody know? Yeah, they're about thieves. Are they? Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, well, I mean yeah, maybe you might find one more likable than the other, but it's still about thieves. Now, in um, the, uh, the Italian job, I get the movies mixed up because uh, there's, there's different endings, quite different endings. But the Michael Caine one, there's the bus scene at the end, right? Where Did anyone ever see the Michael Caine one? Okay, let's just think about the Ed Norton one then. Um, is where they steal from a thief, right? They, 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 they rob from another thief that robbed from them, right? So already at the beginning of the movie, the moral ambiguity is quite clear. But we're thinking, hey, we're pulling for this thief. So what are we doing, though? We're cheering on someone who breaks the law. But we're okay with that as we watch the movie. In fact, we're pulling for him. We're not just okay with it. We're pro-thieves. Ocean's Eleven is the same thing. Who are they stealing from? The casino. They, what is it? They deserve it. Exactly. So, underlying this parable is exactly that. This unjust steward is stealing from the rich. And that's okay. According to this society. Uh, I think Kenneth Bailey says it's like a Robin Hood kind of story, right? Why? He's poor. He's a poor guy. He can't can't dig, and he's too proud to beg. Plus, Kenneth Bailey, which is interesting, Kenneth Bailey said he probably can't even beg because he has no physical deformity. He's he's able-bodied. That's actually actually a very good point. No. I mean, the, the people who were panhandled were people who couldn't physically work. So, but that's that's a whole different tangent. But the uh, yeah. So so the thing is though is that we if now I mean you got to accept what you're watching in these movies. You can't uh, make excuses for why you are pro- pulling for these characters. On a certain on a certain level, I think uh, sometimes when we watch these movies, we lie to ourselves and we make it acceptable. But think about what you're doing. You are lying to yourself. You are dishonest, exactly like the guy in the story. So sometimes, uh, life, this is how life works. We, we, we kind of make these excuses over things. We're not, we're not so fair as, as we think we are because we're able to live within this moral ambiguity. And not just live, but thrive so far that we cheer for a thief um there's a i'm sure there's a lot of other movies this is a very typical thing that hollywood especially in hollywood movies 
where you have someone who is, I mean, wretched or a sinner, that we, in fact, are overlooking their sinfulness and actually cheering for them. Mainly because they are stealing from a rich guy or the, the you know, the, the, the bad parent or whatever. Carol? How is it different? Sounds like a rationalization. Okay, wait a second. So what you're saying is, if you're a really good thief, then we're we're going to cheer for you. But if you're a crappy thief, ah, you're get out of here. Oh, okay. This is true. He still loses his job, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no, no, I understand. Uh, okay, so, so yeah, that's right. So he goes to jail, in a sense, or loses his job. Because there's, there's actually, um, uh, this, this thinking is that the consequences are inevitable, i.e., he's going to lose his job. What is he banking on? Ding, 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 yep. Right, right. Right. Okay, but still, as we associate ourselves with this character, he's still, he's still wrong. Okay, good. That's good then. So, so yeah, exactly. So, but that's the thing, though, is what I'm getting at is that as we. As we read this story, but so it's not different though. We've actually agreed then, because you're saying, but but all I'm saying is that we have gotten to a point where we're cheering for the person who's in the wrong, and but he's really good at being wrong, and we think that's admirable. Now, whether you acknowledge that or not, that but that's what you just said. He is he is doing something. He's defrauding, but he's really good at it, and that's why I find him admirable, admirable, because he's good at it. He's still defrauding, though. Okay, good. That's good. Then, then we actually are agreeing, and it's not quite that different as you think it is. I know. There is a lot of really good liars out there. Right? I mean, hey, he, this guy is so good. Okay, now, see, now the thing is, though, yeah, but this guy is dishonest. He, he's a big, fat liar. <laughs> I find it interesting how willing you guys are, 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 are to uh, come up with uh, ways to like this man. This is good. I agree completely, though. No, but it's, this has nothing more to do with liking or disliking Well, a, a, admiring him. Sorry. And not even admiring him. Oh, you just, you just said, you, okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, hang on. That's a dangerous path to walk down. Okay, that, okay so hang on. Stop there. Stop there. All right, good. So the outcome, we find out, is that there is this gracious master. Okay, so that is the environment in which this man is working in. Okay. 
but the actions to which he, do, he, he, he acts in the environment are, in fact, okay, good. That's right. So when I say admirable, you are actually are telling him he's really good at it. Okay, so, but that actual, that actual statement, that, that's a quality statement. He's good at that. So that, that is actually, on a certain level, you are, you are admiring him by calling him good. In fact, he is bad. He's bad. I mean, he's a really good liar. That would be like saying, I'm a really good murderer. <laughs> but that is bad. So the thing is, though, so this, this is what I'm getting at, though, is that um, we, in this, this, this parable, I think is, is interesting because of how we are, are, are interacting with this. Because, yeah, I agree completely. I, I think, I think uh, we are very quick to, to act in, in a way that, um, I don't say downplays, but it sort of does downplay what he's doing. He, this guy, this guy is a, he's a liar and a cheater, and he's, he's a thief. Again, if Audrey brings home when she comes, when she's, I don't know, 30, <laughs> brings home a liar, cheater, and a stealer, even though he's really good at it, uh, I don't want him in my house ever again. Okay? So the, um, but what is the environment in which he's working? And that now comes to the point. The parable isn't really... Uh, about the dishonest steward. It's about the graciousness of the master himself. So, you know, Jesus isn't really kind of interested in getting his listeners to either act or admire or even really think about the dishonest steward as much as it's about this gracious master. Jan. The prodigal son. Good segue, Jan. He just meant he just mentions like that first paragraph, right? Yep. Yeah. Right. Um, yep. I think I think that's definitely a play. That's part of our Bible reading that we have to always remember. The context and who we, who Pastor uh, Pastor Jesus is talking to. Um, now, the segue was good because I was going to say let's bring us back now to the prodigal son, the thing that happens just before this, because that is very important for us. Because the prodigal son, we kind of feel bad for him, right? But what what does the prodigal son? Well, I mean, I always used to do as a kid. I mean, oh, the poor guy's eating slop out of the pig trough. Um, I remember the Archway book, or Arch books. That, there's this very picture of this guy eating this corn pod. Um, <laughs> ah, you are missing out. Now, the thing is, though, is that, but what, what did the prodigal son do to his father, right? Yeah, drop dead. Mm. Okay, good. So then, and then not only that, what does he do with the money? Mm, yeah, exactly. Pretty, pretty. Sim- I mean, this is a rated R movie. This is a rated R story, by the way. The Prodigal Son is a rated R story. Uh, this is probably the unjust steward is maybe PG thirteen. There's not much of sex and violence, but um, this is thievery. Maybe PG only. 
Prodigal Son, though, is definitely rated R. There's a lot of swearing and cursing, and then there's a lot of, like, sex and drugs. And he comes... I know, right, rated R, definitely. Well, uh, and, and then, then we get into this kind of pitiful situation at the end, right? But what is the prodigal son? Now, he's, a, he's, a, he's a, a very immoral person, but what is the context in which he's working? He's working within a very gracious father, and that is the context in which he lives. Unjust Stewart is a very immoral person, but what's the context of which he's, he's working? A very gracious master. So, so Jesus is getting to this point now where, okay, this is the context in which these immoral people works out, but you, 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 aren't the, you, don't, you aren't these people. You're a son of light. So all the more should you be living in such a way with a gracious gracious Heavenly Father. So Jesus is really kicking it up a notch in terms of what, what life is when you have a gracious God. You're, you're talking about nine, probably? Well, the simple thing is just not to include it. No, no, just no, nine, I'm saying. Eight is, uh, you're, yeah, these, these people in this generation are more shrewd than, than the son of light, right? Yeah, right. Which I think is a one-upper, like meaning um, if, if the men of this generation act this way, that live in such a way they bank, they, they bank on the graciousness of God, then how much more should the sons of light live and the graciousness of God, but not in a uh, immoral moral way, but in a in a Christianly way, right? So, um, yeah, the ways you handle it is just uh, it's a different paragraph, like uh, Kenneth Bailey does. Ah, this is next paragraph. We're going on to a next thought here. <laughs> Kenneth Bailey Kenneth Bailey doesn't include it as part of the car- uh, parable itself. I don't think it's really that transitional. Uh, once you get to kind of verse 10, there's definitely a different thought going on. But Right. Yep. I mean, I, I, I think all that's in play. Like the, the, whole, the, the whole notion. Because uh, um, the, the Middle Eastern culture has already the rich man as a, you know, he's a bad guy, right? Because the only way you can get wealth is by taking it. I mean, that, that's the thing. I, I don't know if Kenneth Bailey had said this in this book, but he says it in the poem, The Peasant. You, you don't really gain wealth. The, the perception is you gain wealth by, by kind of screwing over people. And, but Jesus in these parables, the rich father and the rich master, you don't, you don't presume this about this man. He's a generous man. He's a gracious man. He's a good, rich guy, which for this culture, that can't be right. Um, so Jesus is using a rich person for a, a positive thing. So hence, the idea is that your riches are used for for good. Uh, and Luke is very economic. Like uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, uh, those who are poor in the spirit, in spirit. Like he, Luke gets rid of the spirit and just is the poor. So you have this poor, rich dynamic going on all throughout the Gospel of Luke. Anyways, okay, Jan.
They're not that, yeah, they're, they're a little, they're, yeah, they are not, they're not quite like the disciples. Yes. Um, excellent. Yeah, I, the one thing, I, I, one last thing here is just because, uh, um, who's the Christ figure in, in this parable? And the prodigal son, too. Uh, Robert uh, Capon, he's a, Pastor Bruzik's mentioned him often. And he's got an interesting book about parables. But he always looks for the Christ character in the oddest places. So I think he says the unjust steward is, in fact, the Christ character. Um, which I, I actually sort of agree with it. But he's also the, the very gracious manager, too. But, um, yeah, so Jesus kind of shows up in all different places. And the prodigal son, too. Like, mm-hmm. Jesus is also the prodigal son. And at the same time, the, the gracious father. But what, what's happening here is, is what happens oftentimes. Like, Kuhan Luke comes out in my brain a lot when I read this because for those who haven't seen Kuhan Luke, you should see Kuhan Luke. It's, it's a great movie. It's fantastic. Um, Kuhan Luke is a guy who is a Christ figure, but he's a thief. I mean, he's a criminal, goes to jail, doesn't, doesn't really obey things, doesn't follow the rules, but at the same time, he sets the prisoners free. Not physically, they still are in jail at the end of it, but they're, they're, they're free from their imprisonment of sorts. Uh, thought of Gran Torino. There was another movie. I just, I just, well, I do watch a lot of movies. I, I mean, I, I, well, movies are not just for entertainment. Mildred Constein, one of the best quotes I got from her, she's a prisoner. I watched this movie, Pastor, and I was not entertained. <laughs> but this movie wasn't supposed to entertain me. It got me thinking. So that was actually, that's actually my last story, is that um, God in the Bible acts this way. He acts like the unjust steward, actually. Abraham and Isaac, what does God ask do to, to Abraham? What does he ask him to do? Kill, kill his son. Murder. I mean, we kind of overlook it, though, right? We see it as a sign of faith. What what, what in the world is that all about? Oof. Uh, 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 How does Jacob get the birthright? Or how does he become the son of promise? He is a terrible, Jacob is a terrible person. I mean, all through, all through. He's just mad. He's lying and swindling. Um, that's part of our salvation story. <laughs> uh, so there, there's all these very interesting, strange tensions in the Bible. The Bible is not as um, G-rated as we think it is, or we would like it to be. Nice and neat. The Bible is very, very rich. Uh, so Mildred Constantine, um some of you might have been in the attendance of, I bring this up often because this is so, uh, Andrei Tarkovsky film we showed my first year here called The Sacrifice. Mary, did you go to it? I did not. But you've heard the story many times. You went to go see it. Did you go to the Saturday seminar part? Okay. See, Millard said this. Um, there was a part, I, I didn't want to talk uh, as much as Greg 
I really wanted to, and I think probably Greg wanted me to. Um, he was there, a professor from Wheaton College. Um, part of the, sa- the sacrifice is about a father who's willing to give up his son to stop World War III. Okay, the biblical story should be quite evident there. Most people think it's the Heavenly Father and Jesus, but it's also Abraham Isaac. It's the Abraham Isaac story, actually. And the man in this, in this movie lies with a witch. Lies. We don't know exactly what happens, but it's pretty creepy. She, like, levitates, and we don't know what's going on here. But after that, things are okay at the end of the movie. World War III has been mitigated. Saturday morning, somebody says, I was offended by that. I can't believe that would be shown. Uh, well, not, it wasn't just the whole movie. She, this, also, this person also said, I didn't understand this movie at all. Um, but that part was just so offensive. Now, I kept my mouth shut. And Greg Shrek was very nice. Um, uh, but this is exactly with the scenario. You have Abraham and I. So this woman should have been very upset with God and Abraham and Isaac's story. But in fact, what? She wasn't. You have something that appears to be very immoral going on in the film. You have something very immoral going on in Genesis chapter 22. A father who loves his son is told by a loving God to go kill your son. Now, there's no, there's no promise of resurrection going on in that statement. But, but Abraham actually believes it, which is fascinating but if you struggle with this, that doesn't let God off the hook for saying that to him. Um, so I, I struggle with that story all the time. Oof. I like to ignore it. No, just teasing. I named my son Isaac, so. Um, anyways, yeah, it, it's something where uh, the biblical history here is um, filled with all this kind of weird stuff. And it is weird, just like that scene in the movie, right? <laughs> I go, what is going on here? Well, there is a lot of... I, I love that movie. I, I love all Andrei Tarkovsky's movies, and you should see them all lots of times. Especially the four-hour one, Andrei Rublev. All right, uh, we got to go get the kids out of the nursery. You can hang out afterwards. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.